This episode of the Local 591 podcast was recorded on Friday, May 17th, prior to the Southwest Airlines contract results with their mechanics and prior to American Airlines filing an injunction against the TWU and IAM. From the TWU Local 591 Union Hall, it's the Local 591 Podcast with local president Gary Scheibel. Join Gary and his guests as they discuss topics that impact and affect the careers and lives of union members. Take it away, Gary. Welcome back to the TWU Local 591 Podcast. I'm Gary Scheibel, your host and local president. Today, we're, we're going to go through uh, the letter that hopefully all of you have seen by now. Um, if not, it's posted where the podcast is, and it's also posted on our homepage or our website, local591.com. I'm going to take you through and kind of give you the uh, the audible version of that letter. Um, with me today is Mike Bush, executive board member of Title V. He's also a negotiator like me for the association. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to give our members a little context of uh, what's led to this letter, what led to the uh, JetNet posting. Starting back in the beginning of April, Robert Isom and fellow executives they went to Washington, D.C. The idea was, though, the intent was to get to closure on this JCBA, but apparently they had better things to do and spent a whopping three hours of their time uh, before they had to go. We followed that up, and you and I were in uh, Fort Lauderdale for what I really like to term as no negotiation. And uh, if your thoughts are like mine, it was pretty much doomed from the start. Yeah, we sure didn't get a whole lot done there. And I would preface that by, you know, they had a wage calculator all set to go by that Friday. I've done a lot of work on websites and things, and you just don't get a wage calculator with as many different uh, wage numbers, base salary, all these things that go into a wage calculator. That is a lot of data, and you don't get that done in a day or probably even a week. So when I say doom from the start, I think you'd agree. Um, With a wage calculator in the background, it was pretty well doomed from the start. That said, they have now posted and they defined it as full text proposal. Um, so I want to kind of walk through the full text proposal with you, Mike. And, and when you go through their proposal and to the uh, folks that haven't, uh, don't have the their company's full text proposal in front of me, you might want to at this point grab it. It's still on JetNet, you know, so we can actually walk through it. What you're going to find is it's pretty clear cut in their proposal that their intent is to rid us, rid, rid themselves of us. I mean, they're, they're professional workers and they want to replace us with vendors and really where possible vendors in the foreign countries. They're all about offshoring American jobs and making American about as un-American as possible. Um, that's what this management team has done in the past. Um, that's their history. It is all about being un-American, yet they, they bought American or I'd rather say merged into American. We just inherited the un-American management team. I, I, there's a couple of things we'll get before we get into the proposal. I, I mentioned at the bottom that it, it's time for the NMB to, uh, maybe it is time to put us on a 30-day cooling off period. And I, I think that's something our members need to know that we are in a serious spot now. This is, you know, we're at the tail end of negotiations and management is clearly trying to fight with us. And just curious, Mike, on your comments on that part. Well, after what I witnessed in Fort Lauderdale from the NNB, uh, it's pretty clear 
they're kind of on the company side as far as I see it uh, with what was proposed after making us wait however many days before we actually saw what they proposed to the executive committee. Um, so obviously we're waiting on a report from the NMB that goes to their bosses and, and see how they report it out. But it, it obviously looks like we're heading towards a cooling off period. We're so far apart on these last few items that uh, I don't see how we're going to get there if there's no way of having further discussions uh, with or without the NMB present. The company's going to the extreme now of negotiating on the floor, obviously through JetNet, as you see here, but now they're going to the floor. We now have reports that senior vice presidents are flying around the system, uh, uh, for example, today in Miami, to hold uh, floor meetings with our members. Uh, for what purpose, I don't know, but I'm sure it's to try to discuss the pro uh, proposal they put on JetNet last week. So it seems like an odd way of getting to an end for a contract, but uh, I've never experienced this kind of behavior, but I don't see anything as far as an end game with this type of behavior. So this management team has time to go to the floor, send senior managers there, but yet they only had three hours to negotiate with the negotiating committee, but they can spend eight, 12, 16, 24 hours on the floor with the membership and yet they won't negotiate. That should tell everything to our membership. If they had 24 hours, then put that 24 hours towards negotiating to the closure of a JCBA. The fact that they're going on the floor and trying to negotiate directly with the membership tells you one thing. It's desperation on their part. Obviously, they're at a point where maybe their careers are coming to a crashing end because they can't get what they promised their bosses. And maybe the boss at the top has promised this board of directors a little bit too much. All it comes down to is we, we need to stick together. We need to tell senior management when they're on the floor, just turn you back and walk away. So there's absolutely no reason to speak to them. 29 apps is the only place in the contract that requires us to speak to management. And that's for an investigation. Um, investigating whether or not you're willing to settle for less is not an investigation. It, it's it's time for his membership to take a stand. It's time to, to walk away from a senior manager trying to see if he can lowball you on an offer. It's real simple. If they got themselves off the floor and got back to this fictitious table that Doug Parker keeps talking about he's going to build after having negotiations, we'd be done already. But there's more money in them going to you directly, the member, and trying to lowball you into accepting an inferior proposal um, there's more money in it for them. Industry best, when Doug Parker speaks of it, it's industry best for management. So that's why they're trying to directly sell this to you. That's why in my letter also I, I spoke to, when I spoke to Scope, if Doug Parker actually read the proposal that he has on the table for Scope, there should be an apology forthcoming to this membership. But I doubt there will be. Because he continually says how he's going to keep the same number of jobs, yet the proposal shows the work being offshored. Um, on one final point, I just want to talk to Mike about before we get into this into the proposals is I believe his membership should have a choice. If Doug Parker believes that his contract is the best of the best, then put it up against uh, the union's proposal, the association's proposal. Let's vote it out. Let's see whose proposal actually is the best. I have a feeling I know the result, and I'm feeling that Doug Parker and American Airlines don't want that result because it's going to be overwhelmingly in favor of the association's proposal. Mike, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, uh, 
I'd like to follow up on what a few of the things you just said. So obviously the senior leadership is going to the floor, but let's also remember that um, local management in all ranks are talking to our people. They're trying to get information. And listen, I, I know the local, especially the long-term uh, legacy AA management, would love to be in a contract just like we would, but uh, they're also mining for information and reporting back up the chain. So when you say, let's stick together, and if it's time for a fight, it's time for a fight, that's what our members need to understand. We have working relationships, but at the end of the day, management is management, and they're going to report up the chain uh, what, the, what they need to report up the chain. Very good point. This type of bargaining uh, it's so different. Now, I spent, the, I spent the four years from 08 to 12 doing the previous one, and it ended up in bankruptcy. But it was a back and forth, back and forth. Uh, obviously, both sides, you know, would start on one end and work towards a, a middle. And again, it ended in bankruptcy, unfortunately. But, but we were working, uh, negotiating, constantly doing passes and things. And when this contract first started, we were making a lot of headway. We were doing good. We were doing exactly what negotiations was all about. Now that we're towards the end, three years later, um, to me, this is just, uh, I don't know what the term is. Um, if it's unprofessional, if it's just a, uh, an intent that they want to push us to, you know, the... Bad faith comes to mind. There you go. That, that could be the term. <laughs> but it's just, I just didn't expect this part of the bargaining. Um, Honestly, I, it, it just floors me. I, I don't know what to say. Well, I mean, I, I guess I'm staying on that point, but if you look at their history, America West, Northwest management that we're dealing with, even at Airways where, you know, they didn't use, use bankruptcy as a weapon once, they used it twice. Northwest, they used bankruptcy as a weapon. America West used it several times. I mean, that's the, that's the history of this management group. They're just used to bargaining and a concessionary mindset and yet they're making billions. Maybe that's part of you know what you're struggling with is that this management group still wants to look for concessions in really good times. Maybe that's it. I think you hit it right on the head because I go back to you know years past and legacy AA management. <clears throat> Whether we agreed, we disagreed, we argued, what have you, we always seem to come to a conclusion where um, maybe this is the way of the other airlines that I'm not accustomed to, uh, but the way that they're bargaining is just, at this point, um, it's just, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Yes, it's definitely not a collaborative effort on their side. So moving into the full text, and like I said, this is American, if you click on the link, that they find it full text proposal. So when I think of a full text proposal, and especially when they added the little thing about on the bottom that um, you need to talk to your union and kind of force us to bring this full text proposal to a vote. Article five, Mike, definition. Let's speak to their definitions. All right, let's turn to that page. Well, that one seems to be missing. Yeah, and definitions for the folks listening along, that is the that, that defines a tremendous amount of intent on words used throughout the contract. Now we now we're in this book of restrictions. So if you do not have definitions to define the intent on the words used throughout the contract, uh, maybe you can explain to the membership uh, what the result would be in an arbitration. Oh, well, that would definitely be uh, a losing arbitration and back to the old days of what we always called the gray areas. 
where there was no true definition. So they can do that, the old term that we used to always, you know, we always hear um, would really be a they can do that because um, if we don't define it, then they'll define it for us. And that's been our goal all along. And Gary Peterson has spoke to that since day one and has to say what it means. We have to have clear definition for everything that we're negotiating. And especially, and it's, it's unfortunate, but that's the management group we now have here. I'm going to, I want to turn the page to, uh, well, it's page six through eight of the MLS agreement and start getting into uh, the MLS full text proposal on scope. Um, one thing that stands out to me as soon as I look at the MLS scope is it's a little bit thin on pages compared to the MNR. So I'll uh, turn it over to you, Mike, to kind of get into that. All right. Well, <clears throat> I believe it's about six to eight pages short, but let's start with the very first sentence that they put out. Note. MLS scope subject to further discussions upon conclusion of MNR scope. But wait, it's an, it's a full text proposal. We're ready to vote on this. Well, I clearly can't speak to this or take this to my members. I, I, I would have rather just saw that sentence than the whole rest of that uh, scope proposal. That whole rest of that article. Yeah, but I mean, they're they're telling your members to come to you and demand the vote on this. So we're demanding the vote on something that's pending the outcome of something else that they're also demanding that the members of the MNR group vote on this. So I'm not sure how you vote on something if you got a disclaimer under it. Well, back to the comment earlier, it has to clearly say what it says so we understand word for word. And there's nothing in here that I could honestly take back to my membership. Okay, so moving on into some of the, uh, as painful as it is, actually some of the language that's in there. You want to hit on some of the language? Sure. So, let's start with um, Article 6, what was it, C through F, when they were talking about it, it's intended now being performed, the work, to the extent will continue to exist. So, we, we're going to use words like intended. We're going to use uh, to the extent. So, intended seems to be throughout this MLS pass. Uh, further down, 6C, where it says, it's intended that our MLS will be, work will be performed by MLS and allows for the company to assign the work to others. Well, it's intended to. There was another comment about it's intended that MLSs will be staffed where AMTs are. It's the intention to staff is the term they used. Well, I, I, how, do you, how do you take that? I mean, three, three months into the, the JCBA, they intended to, but hey, it didn't work out, so we're changing our mind. And our proposals that we drafted in good faith, it said MLSs will be at locations that AMTs are. Not may, like the previous contract, not intended, but will. We have to have that type of verbiage in there to clearly define. So there, again, there is no gray area and then leads us to arbitration. So maybe if, you know, if you took the word intended and went back to Article 5 and see if it was in definitions, oh, I'm sorry, it's not there. Again, that's a blank page. Okay. So, Mike, um, yeah, I, I see this intended and also there's an intention. Intended or intention does not mean, abs well, to me, it means absolutely nothing. Um, will, shall, those are the words that need to be put in the contract, uh, will or shall, in order for the MLS folks to be able to vote on something um, that they're comfortable with. So I can go on here. We have the next one, which was uh, 6C through F, where it talks about the cities that they named. 
I currently have, for MLS I'm speaking, 25 line stations, 27 if you call, if you count DWH and Tulsa in the mix, um, about to be 26 line stations with Houston coming on board, so that would be 29. However, there was only 23 mentioned in here, and one of those is Charlotte, so that's not even one of the current stations that I have. So already we're losing a lot of stations that uh, I have no idea which stations, what's being discussed. Um, so that's a little bit of a concern right there for me. I mean, that, that is definitely a concern for me, especially when this, once again, I hate harping on it, but it does say it's a full text proposal. Okay, so let's move on to another concern of mine as far as MLS go. Uh, we have off-site locations, and they're popping up more and more because of space that you can't get on the airport. So, for example, Tulsa has had one for years. I know Charlotte has one. Dallas just opened one not too long ago on the north end of the airport, off-site. We, we staff it with MLSs currently. We're trying to acquire more space in Orlando and elsewhere, but there's no verbiage that talks about if there's off-site locations for inventory purposes, which I get. We need to have room for parts for maintenance and distribution centers to ship them throughout the system. But if there's no verbiage to talk about off-site locations, does that mean my MLSs will or will not be uh, assigned to these locations going forward in the JCBA? That's a big concern to me personally. Absolutely. I mean, I'm reading where it says their intention, and once again, back to the word intention, to staff at stations where aviation maintenance technicians are staffed, but Aviation maintenance technicians are not staffed at an off-site location. That's correct. It's so, all MLSs. Okay. So, I mean, another big concern when I initially took a look was the parallel operations. <laughs> another good one in the stores book because that one said TBD, language not fully reviewed. So I uh, obviously couldn't speak to that to my members if they asked me what that meant. Okay. So moving on from there, Mike, um, I've, well, we've all heard it. Um, Doug Parker time and time again says that uh, we have nothing to worry about, but not only we're going to keep the uh, same headcount, we're going to grow it going forward. Can you uh, point out uh, where in the contract our folks can see that they truly have a headcount minimum? I haven't seen a number yet that pertains to stores in the MLS classification for a minimum headcount. Okay, so that would be on par with what we've seen in the MR agreement and all the other agreements. That there is no such thing. It's just town hall rhetoric. Anything else on scope uh, before we move into other areas of the contract? No, I think that pretty much sums it up again back to the words intend, intention. It's the old days of May, which I thought we were really working together to try to correct all those gray areas, but apparently we're not. Okay, so... I'm not going to be, I'm not deliberately skipping over MNR and others' uh, scope, but there is a podcast currently on our podcast site that uh, pertains to MNR scope that where we go into in detail. The only piece that we really haven't gone into detail, and I'll touch on it right now, is the company is asking that vendors in foreign locations work on transit slash uh, daily checks. To any of you folks in line maintenance, that should uh, kind of send chills when they want to name a check. We all know that the B check became an A check, A check became the PS check, PS check became something else. It's we don't need vendors doing checks on our planes. These are that, those checks should belong to us. So that is a problem that would be on page uh, ten and eleven of the M and R book. 
Article 6P, number four. So take a look and you'll understand what we are, what I'm talking about there. For our facilities maintenance folks, there's a very good podcast uh, on facilities and actually also on our ground service equipment folks. Uh, that's on our podcast website. You can take a, take a listen to that. We go into detail on the impact of your careers if uh, American is successful in getting um, their proposal voted in. Um, one word to describe the uh, your careers in the future, decimation. That's that. That would be the word. So that will uh, let's take us to uh, vacations, and we'll, let's 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 go a little deeper into vacations. I'll touch on uh, the best in the industry right now. United Airlines. They have seven weeks vacation at twenty nine years. Uh, Mike, your folks top out at we're at six. Okay, and then in the M and R world, we top out at uh, five weeks vacation. So one thing that stands out. Looking at their vacation proposal, um, it tops out at uh, six weeks at 30 years, which is less than the industry best. Is there anything else that we really need to hit on with vacation that you can see right up front? Well, the years to acquire the vacation. They want to hit 25 years just to get your uh, fifth week, Uh, where in our proposal, we had 17 years to get to the fifth week. 22 years to get to the sixth week and 30 years to get to the seventh. Okay. And then also um, the only good part here, I mean, it appears that the, uh, the company's finally willing to fix the inequity of the past 16 years on uh, our folks coming in the door who have only gotten one week of vacation for the first five years is now going to get two weeks of vacation for the first five years. That is a positive. Yes. So when we look at the vacation accrual, um, when I look at the industry's best, uh, and that being United Airlines, you're, you're getting your fifth week of vacation at 16 years. Yeah, we're proposing 17 years. It's in the same ballpark. So we're a little different on uh, our accrual of vacation versus United's, but it still ultimately ends up in the same result. And it's in the, the same basic number of years till you get to those weeks of vacation. Um, for instance, United gets their six week of vacation at 24 years. We're proposing 22 years is when you get your six week of vacation. But to go from 12 years getting your fourth week to 25 years getting your fifth week, that's just absurd. All right, so we'll move on from vacation. Next thing I really wanna to touch on is the uh, early out. I know you've been involved um, long before I got involved in negotiations and I've heard this about this early out that they want to propose. Let me just ask you, Mike, so it, um, the early out, that's obviously going to go by seniority, right? Uh, not as written, no. Ah, okay. So so is it going to go by seniority at all? I mean, that's it's, it's just... Well, if it was up to us, yeah, our proposal would be by seniority on a time chart throughout the life of the contract. We have people on, let's say, both coasts that have 40-plus years that are looking to retire. Uh, Are they going to be offered? Obviously not if they can't even hire off the street up there. It seems like it would be more targeted at a few locations that they really want to shrink the headcount. We were just recently in New York, and actually in JFK is the number one guy in the seniority list for uh, mechanic and, well, for the Title I list. And actually for, well, for any list in the airline industry for that part. 
and we were also told while we were up there by a lot of folks that uh, they're having a, a heck of a time trying to hire anybody, primarily because the company refuses to use the uh, flex rate or the lower the pay progression st- uh, steps to, to get mechanics to hire in. So when you say that uh, it's not going to be by seniority, then what exactly is it going to be done by? Uh, the early outs will be awarded based on operational need. Okay, so then if they have a need to keep that gentleman on the clock because they can't hire somebody to replace them, what you're kind of telling me the company's position is they can just bypass the number one guy in the seniority list and move on down to wherever they want and let whoever they want leave? In that scenario, that tells me that the operational needs him to remain working. Okay, and as unionists, I hope you folks would agree that that's, uh, that is a non-starter. We, we work our careers based around our seniority. And if they're going to hand out uh, 105000 or in an MLS folks, $70,000 to people, that needs to be based around seniority and not based around some need of some manager at some station. Um, I would hope you folks would agree with me. So let's move on to Article 16, Compensation. Um, so Doug Parker has clearly stated and promised many times to our membership that you'll get the best of the best. Um, so my understanding that the proposals were put together to the company based around the best of the best, the best in, uh, at each airline, say shift premium, um, or any premiums and wages was all based around the best of the best. That was the, uh, the goal. And that's what we were working off of when we originally heard that from the company industry leading. So that's when we did all our comparators and came up with our numbers that we proposed. Okay, so now like in the MLS um, proposal back from the company, what is that looking at? Um, Like what airline would that be they're basing it off of? They're basing it more off of Delta, which Delta's hard to get numbers to, but they're basing it more off of Delta. Okay, and a percentage over Delta? Uh, They're offering Delta plus three. Okay, and uh, if I understand correctly, Delta got 14% profit sharing? Uh, yes, they did. Okay, so if you took Delta and did plus three, um, you're really minus 11? Yeah, they would definitely gain on that one. Okay, because, well, I mean, I guess it's not completely 11 because we did get 1.4% for profit sharing. So it's really Delta minus 9.6. So let me look at some other areas where when we say best of the best, I just want to make sure things or components of the wages are in there like uh, longevity uh, premium is that included in this uh their offer no oh okay because i mean i know i'm not completely sure what uh, the mls folks get but i'm sure it's pretty close to the mnr folks and um, united airlines receives a dollar an hour top longevity and southwest receives a dollar 75 an hour for top longevity and i'd imagine that the mls folks would be somewhere in a ballpark at both of those airlines too but yes. that's actually missing yes okay so like midnight premiums um i, th- I believe the company's offer is not the industry best there either no, they're offering what they offered when I hired in in 91, 58 cents. And 58 cents is probably not worth the same in 2019 than when you hired in. I know it's I not. I agree with that. Can't buy much for 58 cents these days. 
And if um, the industry leading is a dollar and people are forced to, or choose to work midnights, they should be compensated for doing that. Absolutely. So other things that I kind of stand out, I know in the line maintenance world, they're offering a taxi premium of $1 an hour, but it's tied to um, groups that are actually on a taxi crew, yet they're proposing to eliminate taxi crews. That's so. what I was just going to ask. I thought uh, their proposal was for fleet service to take a lot of that work over. Yes. So that's what we call fool's gold. And uh, we'll take their dollar an hour, but I believe their dollar an hour needs to be put someplace else. Um, one other one, I'm looking at the pay progression steps. I'm not completely familiar with pay progression on the MLS side, but I do know um, Southwest Airlines is currently at five years to top pay, and yet they're still going down the road of nine years in the M&R book. Yeah, and we are at 11 or 12 now, I believe, in our book. Okay. That they're proposing, yeah. Yet, I go back to their hiring issues in New York, L.A., and elsewhere. Um, if they got to top pay at a, a much faster progression, they're probably solved for their hiring issues. And they use their hiring issues as a reason why they need to offshore the work. So, um, from there, I mean, one last thing that stands out to me is the uh, annual raises. You want to touch on the annual raises? Yeah, normally it's three and above. Uh, past history has been 3%, 3.5. Uh, this this go around, we initially talked about 3% raises, and but yet in their offer, now it's a 2% annual wage increase. But wait, I mean, I know Southwest's tentative agreement, if guessing that it's going to uh, pass next week and ratify, but oh, yeah. they're offering 3% over there. So even if you're offering us 3%, or they're offering us 3% above Southwest today, um, we'll be even in no time anyway, because I believe they're due for a raise in August of this year at 3%. I also do recall that uh, hearing Doug Parker actually answer this question to some management folks uh, in one of the town halls not that long ago. I believe it was the uh, first quarter state of the airline address. And uh, he said that, yeah, management will get 3% raises. So management gets 3%, yet the folks that actually run the airline get 2%. does not seem fair to me. Doesn't sound industry-leading either. Okay, so let me uh, touch on benefits a little bit from, I'm, I'm going to keep it a very general view. I don't want to get into the uh, U.S. Airways medical and that kind of detail, but just, I don't want to get into too much uh, detail on it, but just some observations real fast. 21% of the projected cost, this is the medical that we got stuck with in bankruptcy. This is not something that was negotiated. This is something that they um, literally jammed down our throats of, uh, that you're going to take this, and not just us, but all the all of labor. And then they follow that up with uh, our pilots, flight attendants, um, forcing them into keeping this. Um, let's not forget, folks, that our flight attendants are working under a rejected contract that was in, put in place by an arbitrator. Um, the company was going down the same road with our pilots at the APA. So they got stuck with this same medical. None of them are happy with this medical yet. You continually hear Doug Parker says, well, the, all the rest of labor signed up for this medical, so should you. So projected cost, do we have an audit to make sure that their projected cost is their actual cost? No audit system in place, no. Yep, I do believe we proposed that. Yes, like the old days and the old contracts, yes. Okay, and I, I mean, just an outside observation here of, if you don't want somebody to look at your books, you know, I mean, if you're if you're refusing to allow an audit, that means you don't want somebody to look at your books. Yet the topic that we keeps coming up is trust. I mean, what's your thoughts on trust? Uh, trust, but verify. 
Okay. I'd, I'd subscribe to the same theory. Just kind of broadening out a little bit more and, and looking at, uh, say, like United Airlines. United Airlines benefit costs are similar in, uh, monthly cost out of your payroll deduction as American. But, you know, I mean, United also has uh, some ways to reduce your cost. Can you speak on that, Mike? So their med- medical benefit costs, um, it also includes a credit of $48 for uh, each of you and also your spouse for being a non-smoker, just for an example. So, uh, you know, definitely a uh, benefit, a credit of almost $100 a month off your cost for being a non-smoker. Certainly the incentive for somebody that is a smoker to become a non-smoker um, for you and your spouse. Um, does United have anything else that they uh, can help offset the cost of their medical? Yeah, they also have a VEBA. Okay, can you kind of explain a little bit what a VEBA is? Voluntary Employee Beneficiary Association. It's a trust where they get a dollar twenty an hour that uh, can also be put towards health care costs. Okay, so in reality, I mean, if they were spending two fifty a month on uh, health benefits, and if they're both non-smokers, and they also can put their dollar twenty an hour towards it, they'd actually be paying really nothing. So, um, moving on into another very important topic is retiree health care. Mike and I, I mean, we we did a podcast on this in extensive detail. I would recommend that uh, our folks go back and listen to it again. Really what it comes out to is American Airlines wants to charge you 241 hours of sick time per month for retiree medical, not active. This is retiree medical. It's not nearly as good as active when I'm told. And uh, that, that comparison is to uh, 11 hours of sick time for active medical at United Airlines and 12 hours of uh, sick sick time per month of active medical at Southwest Airlines. Southwest, you can continue on past age 65. Um, United, I do not believe you can. But just matching up, I mean, 241 hours to 11 or 12, clearly they're trying to rip us off. I mean, that's no other way to say it. We'd really ask everybody to go back. If you haven't listened to it, please listen to the uh, podcast. They didn't even offer the 38 hours per month that the LUS... IAM currently has. All right, Mike, moving on to uh, Article 30, retirement benefits. Um, very important issue for our membership. We have a membership that, you know, closer to retirement. The majority of us are closer to retirement than we are um, closer to starting our employment. And so vast majority of our folks are now over the age of 57 and are looking forward to retirement. So obviously our defined benefit plan has was taken from us and frozen in the bankruptcy so since then, we've been on this 401k match of uh, 5.5%. So let's talk about what we proposed initially as a union. Oh, well, initially it was the 16% uh, defined contribution, similar to what the pilots have. Okay. And uh, when you say defined contribution, what we're talking about is the money is going into your 401k, whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's automatic because unfortunately today we have members that don't even uh, contribute the minimum that they're offering now. So by having a match and having to put in five and a half to get five and a half, folks aren't doing that. So therefore they're leaving money on the table. Correct. Okay. And then uh, what did the company initially offer um, with their opening proposal? Oh, they offered a match of up to, up to 5.5%. So they offered us the status quo of what we had status quo okay and then as we progressed 
uh, if I understand correctly, we're currently uh, proposing 10% defined contribution. Correct. And the company's proposing 5% defined contribution and 4% match. That's it. Okay. So looking at the industry, United, I know, gets a defined benefit plan still, um, and it's worth the value of 6% plus a match of... Uh, Six percent is the defined defined contribution value of it, plus a four hundred one k match of three percent. And I know Delta Airlines, uh, it's six percent defined contribution plus three percent match on the four hundred one k. And then Southwest Airlines, uh, they receive nine point three percent all match on their four hundred one k. That's right. I want to move to another um, little disclaimer that the uh, company put on. And speak to that. The, and the disclaimer is the company reserves the right to amend the four, the American 401k plan at the company's sole discretion. The American 401k plan is not incorporated in this agreement. I remember um, a little while back, uh, I was actually as part of a, I was a panelist on a arbitration. When I see comments like this, where they have the sole discretion to amend plans, uh, it really gives me chills because in that arbitration, the uh, the company with disclaimers like that, they can pay the 401k once a year. And uh, I mean, I thought it was a crazy comment then, but when I see disclaimers like this, I think it's, you know, I think back to that was, was stated under oath in an arbitration that they don't have to pay the 401k in a weekly, bi-weekly or whatever basis. If they wanted to, they'll just pay it whenever they pay it at the end of the year. So Comments like that and disclaimers like this, we've got to get language that uh, guarantees that the 401k contribution or match will be paid on or will be paid with each paycheck. So you're missing out on the money that all throughout the year, this compounding, if you're only going to get a one-time payment at the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, I, I have done some research into this and there are companies out there that pay it once a year. Uh, those are mostly good companies that paid at the beginning of the year. They kind of float you the money. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that's only on a 2080-hour basis too, right? Um, that's um, that's what I'm hearing. The company is uh, pushing a uh, 401k on 2080 hours instead of uh, on all hours as currently uh, under the bankruptcy contract. So let's move further backwards from a bankruptcy contract. All right, so moving on. Um, I want to touch on uh, the signing bonus. Um, signing bonus is a uh, whopping $3,000. Um, you want to give us some input on what this signing bonus is all about? Well, the company currently pays you what's called pay current, and they want to go to pay in arrears. Okay, so pay current would mean, well, today is Friday. And I, I believe that's not in all locations. I know the New York folks get paid uh, already in arrears, but... Pay current would mean before you even get in the door today, that check that you saw on JetNet on Sunday included today's uh, today's pay. That's right. For example, if you started on, say, a Wednesday, your paycheck, you would have gotten a full week's paycheck. Okay, and then paying arrears means that uh, today's pay, um, you wouldn't see for two more weeks. That's right. And I believe that's what their $3,000, what they're calling a bonus, that's pretty much what that's going to cover when we go to this pay in arrears, it's going to make up for the money or the paycheck we're going to be missing for the first go-round. But it actually sounds like it's going to make up for a little bit of the check in some cases. Yes, but it's classified as a bonus. So a bonus, but I would would also uh, caution our um, listeners out there that a bonus is taxed at a higher rate than uh, regular wages. So 
Yeah, you're going to receive a zero check if they get their demand to go to pay in arrears. Um, that also means that the company is now, they're making interest on money for two weeks that uh, you would have otherwise already had in your bank account. So it's really not a bonus at all. Um, and that's without even looking at that uh, $3,000. And the first thing that comes to mind is it's missing a, missing a zero as far as a uh, signing bonus. Uh, I want to move on, Mike, to uh, let's talk about retro pay. So the company made a statement, and this is from David Seymour and Curry Filipovich, August 26, 2019. And they said that literally millions of dollars are being left on the table with each week that goes by. Me personally, I'm looking for that table. I know you go over to headquarters a lot like me. Uh, do you see a table anywhere in headquarters that has millions of dollars on it? I thought that was the table Doug said he would build in order for us to finish this negotiations, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, so there there is no table with millions of dollars on it. So the only other place that these millions of dollars could be uh, going is being stuffed in people's pockets. And 9% bonuses for management this year probably tells you where a lot of those, uh, a lot of those millions are. So... That said, um, as an association uh, proposal or position, um, we are certainly expecting uh, full retro. So that said, we are asking for retro. Yes, we are. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And the contract became amendable last September. So September 12th. Ob obviously, on uh, not just pay retro, but look at things like uh, holidays. So um, we would want retroactive pay for all the holidays that we've been missing or those that we do have, we're missing um, straight time on top, you know, that would go with the time and a half. Absolutely. And obviously for those folks that called in sick under the M&R agreement, they're still stuck with half day for a sick day. Um, we would want that uh, fully reimbursed. I would imagine you guys would. And the last thing... I remember the rest of the company getting a 4% raise that was never handed out to um, anybody that's uh, in a contract in, in contract negotiations uh, under the association. I would expect we want that 4% in a lump sum too. That would be correct. Okay, so I wanna look at one last thing with this, um, between a signing bonus and also uh, the retro pay. When I look at what they're offering as far as signing bonus, even though we know that we're losing a week's pay uh, or two weeks pay with the paying arrears but that said the 3000 that they're offering the MNR and MLS folks comes out to about 42 million dollars so just a little comparison and I don't have the numbers on the MLS but at, uh, United Airlines the MNR folks received a hundred and eighty five million dollars for 11,000 people um, for a lump sum signing bonus so I mean that was about seventeen thousand dollars um, Southwest Airlines, if they ratify their agreement next week, is going to receive $160 million for 2,500 members, or on average, that would be uh, $64,000 of signing bonus and retro. So they, I would say at this point, are not even in the ballpark. No, way off. Okay, so uh, I, I also, a lot of times I get our members are asking, what can we do to combat uh, what senior management is doing? Um, not just by these personal meetings that they're now having, but also what I term the propaganda machine called JetNet. And uh, I believe, you know, they allow us to post on JetNet on certain topics. I know they've uh, scaled it back. And there's a real simple thing you can write that keeps it respectful. You don't have to worry about any kind of what they used to term the Rule 32 violations. Uh, just simply post on any of these things, industry best, nothing less. 
Um, we want Doug Parker to live up to his words and keep negotiating to conclusion right now without the NMB, as he just recently stated just a few weeks ago at the State of the Airline. So, Mike, that said, um, do you have any final thoughts for our members? Well, this is a perfect time to prevent the company uh, from eroding our respected crafts, all of our class and crafts. Uh, the time now is to stand up for our professions, for our class and craft. That said, I, I strongly believe that we can stop American Airlines from acting on American and offshoring our careers if we stand as one. That's our podcast for today. I want to thank Mike for coming on and helping me out with this uh, all-important subject. Thanks for having me, and stand strong, everybody. And as always, remember to work in accordance with all rules, regulations, and manuals that American Airlines has. And remember that this management group has and will try to discipline you if you do not follow their rules, regulations, and manuals. Um, as always, please work safe, and most of all, stay safe. Thank you. For more information about TWU Local 591, go to local591.com. To comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at info at local591.com. You can listen, download, and stream episodes of Local 591 Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, your favorite Android podcaster, or your RSS feed-enabled browser. Local 591 podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, local591podcast.com forward slash podcast. Music provided under license by pond5.com. The Local 591 podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Ingle.